Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. The title of our study uh, this afternoon is the dual kingdom and uh, or, or the two kingdoms it's there but the dual kingdom is what we want to look at and it's kind of in a sense a follow-on from what we were talking about earlier but uh, uh, it also deals with the issues that we discussed. But in particular, I want to see if we can resolve uh, a seeming contradiction in the teachings, teachings of Christ. And when we talk about the kingdom, uh, the gospel message or, or the plan of salvation in the gospel is known as the gospel of the kingdom. It's referred to as such a number of times in the, in the Bible. And there is a reason for that. Hopefully we'll discover the reason as well as we go along. But the first text I want us to turn to is in Mark chapter 1. Gospel of Mark chapter 1. And yeah, Mark, Matthew, Mark. And uh, we'll look at the first chapter there, verse 14 and 15. Mark 1, 14, 15. And here the Bible tells us, now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. So I'm going to put here on the board the gospel of the kingdom. And when Jesus began to preach he referred to the gospel as the gospel of the kingdom. Why is it called the gospel of the kingdom? We want to discover that. And the other thing, it says that this gospel, which says uh, this kingdom actually is at hand. Meaning what? Close. Close. Imminent. Just around the corner. Is that right? That's the impression you get from the way Jesus was speaking. There is a certain urgency telling them, listen, the, the time's up. This is according to time. Repent and believe the gospel because the kingdom of God is at hand. Very, very close. And then in contrast to that, we have another verse also spoken by Jesus that seems to say the opposite. And it's recorded in Luke 19. Let's go there. Luke chapter 19. <clears throat> Luke chapter 19 and verses 11 and 12. Thank you. Luke 19, verse 11, it says, And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. What is the reason that Jesus spoke this parable? It gives us two reasons here. Because he was close to Jerusalem. And the more important one I want to focus on, what's the other reason he spoke the parable? It's because there was a pervasive belief among the people that the kingdom of God would what? immediately appear. And so he gives a parable to correct this misunderstanding and to basically tell them, listen, 
The kingdom of God is actually like a man who went to a far country to receive a kingdom and then to return, meaning that it's not going to immediately appear. So here's the dilemma we have. Jesus said the kingdom is at hand, and Jesus said the kingdom is like a man going to a far country to receive a kingdom and come back, meaning it's a far off. So which one is it? Is the kingdom at hand, or is the kingdom afar off? What is this seeming contradiction, and how can we reconcile? Because Jesus spoke both, both uh, things. He preached this way, and he preached that way. What is the reason for that? Okay, uh, all right, good point. He, when The one in Mark that we read, he said what? The kingdom of God is at hand? And then this one in Luke, it says, they thought in verse 11, they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Okay, very good point. Thank you very much. There was a very, there was a very common misunderstanding of what the kingdom of God meant. And we want to resolve that misunderstanding today and see <clears throat> and see what relevance that has for us. Because it's actually very, very beautiful when we understand uh, the dual nature of this kingdom. The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, or the gospel of the kingdom. It's all talking about the same thing. These are synonymous terms in scripture. They don't mean different things. They all are referring to the very same thing. The gospel of the kingdom. And so, that's what I want to figure out. And in order to understand it, we need to have just a little bit of background that helps paint the picture clearly, and then it will all be very, very clear, hopefully. And it will clarify many of the verses in the Gospels when it talks about the kingdom that seem to be actually contradictory. This is just one example where it says the kingdom is close. Hold on, the kingdom is far. We want to see why that is the case. And the background begins at the beginning, of course, when God created Adam, and God gave to Adam and Eve dominion over this earth. You remember that in the book of Genesis? It says, let them have dominion over everything that's in the earth. And uh, he placed them in the garden of Eden. Of course, when Adam fell, he handed over this dominion or this kingdom that God entrusted to him. He handed over this kingdom to who? To Satan, because the Bible says, of whom a man is overcome, of the same he's also, you know, come into bondage or he's subject to that. And so he was brought into bondage by the devil. And so the kingdom was lost. And the kingdom that Adam lost was twofold in its nature. And I'm just reviewing this as background. I don't want to go too much into detail, but this sets up and this helps us understand what Christ says about the king kingdom because his work was to restore what Adam lost. And so if we see what it was in the beginning, it helps us appreciate what Christ was coming to do and his words and explanations regarding that. The kingdom of Adam was composed of two aspects. It was within and it was without. God gave Adam dominion to rule himself under God and to rule the world under God. Isn't that right? And we see that very clearly because when Adam ate of the fruit, he lost dominion and control of himself and the lights went out. The spiritual kingdom that God was to inhabit, where man was to rule and under God, now that rule was handed over to who? Satan. Satan now had something to do with the nature of man. The sp something on the inside happened. 
That's the spiritual component indicated by the light going out. And then Adam lost the physical dominion of the world, indicated by the fact that he was kicked out of the Garden of Eden, because the Garden of Eden was, in essence, the command center, the headquarters of the planet. The whole planet is Eden in Genesis, and the Garden of Eden was symbolic of the command center. Adam being evicted of that, symbolic that he lost control and dominion of this world, and therefore this world became Satan's. This is just a brief background. And so this kingdom that God had given to mankind, which was connected with heaven, was now disconnected from heaven. Individually, spiritually, man was alienated from God, and the world, the physical world, was also alienated from God, from the kingdom of heaven. And this helps us to understand what Christ actually meant, because the restoration would involve a spiritual and a physical, because that's what was lost, and it was lost in this order, first spiritual, and then the physical. And misunderstanding this dual nature of the kingdom has caused a lot of trouble and heartache over the years. The Jews rejected Christ essentially because they misunderstood the nature of the kingdom that he had come to restore. They expected that he would restore the physical dominion and power to Israel to rule over the Romans. Remember that? This was to a large degree the reason why they rejected Christ. And this is where Christ gives this parable that we just looked at to some people who thought that this kingdom would immediately appear. Anyway, hopefully it'll clear up as we're going. But I just wanted to lay this groundwork, this background that we see in the story of Adam and Eve because it helps us appreciate the work of the second Adam. Let's go to the book of Micah, Old Testament. Towards the end of the Old Testament, God here makes a prophecy and a promise. And this promise was there from the start. It was understood, but he spells it out very well in Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4 and verse 8. Micah chapter 4 and verse 8. It says, And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of of Jerusalem. So you can and see why the, the Jews had a certain expectation. Because God promised a restoration of the first dominion. What's he talking about? He's talking the, about the dominion and the kingdom that was entrusted to Adam. What Adam lost would be restored and would be recovered. This prophecy talks about that. But interesting to keep in mind as well, that when Micah wrote this prophecy, the kingdom was still to come in the future. It wasn't here yet. It was still promised. To, it was promised to come and the dominion and all these aspects that are related to it. You see, there was a, a specific set time for the restoration of the kingdom. And the kingdom would be restored in its twofold nature. And it's misunderstanding those twofold aspects of the kingdom and confusing them is what caused the rejection of Christ. And in like manner today, we have a little bit of gray areas when it comes to the kingdom, what the kingdom really means. And so in understanding the kingdom, it is actually to help us appreciate more the work of Christ and to help us understand exactly where we are. So that's what the plan of salvation really is all about, is to restore this world and its inhabitants to once again be members of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of God. 
of heaven, what we were intended to be doing and the, uh, to be part of from the very beginning. And when that time of the restoration drew near, God made that very, very clear. God made that very plain. Let's go to the Gospel of Matthew. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 3. Heaven made very clear when the time was near. We saw it in the preaching of Christ, but it began just before. Matthew 3, verse 1 and 2. Amen. Verse 1 here, it says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is close, at hand, just within reach, just around the corner, imminent. Meaning also that up until that time, the kingdom of heaven was what? Not at hand before then, correct? If he's saying, look, the kingdom now is at hand, before then it was? Not at hand. And that, that's why during the Old Testament time, that kingdom was uh, promised in prophecy. Let me just put some timelines here. I really like timelines, if you haven't figured that out yet. Because they really help me understand things. Like when I'm studying, I sit down and do all these scribbles. And hopefully I pick the best one to come and put here. I need to talk with Michael a bit more because my scribbles are really bad. Anyway, if we were to put the cross of Christ here, and, uh, and well, here we have John the Baptist here. Let's put John here. So during the entire Old Testament period, and this is Eden, if we were to put Eden here. We're running out of ink. So during this whole period, the kingdom was promised to be restored, correct? That's what we find in Micah. Micah was somewhere here, not far before John, you know, about four, four or so hundred years before John. It says the kingdom would come. And then John appears on the scene. And for the very first time in the history of the world, we have this message called the kingdom is at hand. John has the distinct honor of being the very first preacher ever to preach a message called the kingdom is at hand. Nobody ever preached this message before. Correct? So he has a very unique and important position and message and role. Very, very significant. I don't want us to miss the significance of his work. Because the reason is, very shortly, this kingdom was going to be realized. And this is what John was sent to do. Heaven was basically telling humanity, the time is near. And heaven set up this messenger, John, and sent him to preach the kingdom is at hand. When Jesus appeared a little while after six months, he was born after, when he began to, be, to preach, after his baptism, put the baptism here. We already read, when he began to preach, he said what? Same thing, right? Repent and believe the gospel because the kingdom is at hand. We want to explore that just a little bit, like I said. <clears throat> so from this time, from the time of John, this is our marker here, we have this next phase where the kingdom is preached. And the reason why I'm putting it this way is because the kingdom was never preached before this point. For approximately 4,000 years of Earth's history, the kingdom was promised, the kingdom was prophesied. It only began to be preached here because the time was fulfilled. That's very significant. 
It helps us appreciate a little bit more of the gospel message of Christ or this gospel of the kingdom and what that, what that actually means. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We're not far. Again, we're just doing a little study here together, okay? So we'll be traveling through the Bible a lot. Matthew 4 verse 17. Matthew 4, 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Mark, we read Jesus called it the kingdom of God. Here he calls it the kingdom of heaven. It's the same thing. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven is the same thing. Synonymous terms, they're exactly identical. Not only that, but Jesus actually instructed his disciples to do the same thing in their preaching. Let's go to Matthew 10. Chapter 10. Verse 5. Matthew, same, yeah, same gospel. Matthew chapter 10, beginning with verse 5. And here it says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Time and again, this is repeated. John preached it. Jesus preached it. The disciples, when they were sent out, they preached. And their preaching was that the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is at hand. It is close. It is just around the corner. This is this period of the preaching of the kingdom. Obviously, God wanted people to know and to expect what was about to take place. This kingdom. This kingdom that Adam had lost, Christ had come to restore. <clears throat> Let's look at another example. We're not far. Next uh, one is Matthew 12. Just a couple of pages, a couple of chapters over. Matthew 12 and verse 28. Jesus speaking. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. So the work of Christ in healing, in casting out devils, is evidence of his message that the kingdom is at hand. He says, listen, what I am doing is evidence that this kingdom has come unto you. This gospel of the kingdom. And so what was Jesus referring to? What kingdom was at hand? Because remember the other parable said he spoke it because there were people living at that time, listening to this preaching, who felt that the kingdom should immediately appear. And so he told them a parable to correct that understanding. So what was Christ talking about? Those two aspects, like I mentioned, that we looked at in the story of Adam, uh, the spiritual component and the physical component of this kingdom, Christ clarifies himself in Luke chapter 17. Let's go to Luke 17, and this starts to make this distinction which is important to keep in mind. Luke chapter 17. <clears throat> Sorry. We'll begin with verse 20. Luke 17, beginning with verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, Neither shall they say, lo here, or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God 
is within you, or as the margin says, among you. So what was Christ referring to here? You see, that they had this discussion. They, they, the Pharisees, they were all, they all understood the prophecies of the Old Testament. They were inquiring of Christ, when is this kingdom going to appear? And he told them, listen, it doesn't come with observation. It doesn't come initially with outward show and physical manifestation like you are expecting. As a matter of fact, this kingdom is where? Among you. Among you or within you. Christ was referring to which part of the kingdom? The part that Adam lost first. That is the spiritual component of the kingdom. And so when Christ was speaking about the kingdom being at hand, he was referring to the spiritual part. That's what he would restore first. The people at the time were expecting the physical kingdom to be restored. And he says, no, immediately. And he said, no, no, no. Let me give you a parable to tell you about that part of the kingdom. That's the man going to a far country to receive a kingdom. And then he comes back. First the spiritual, then the physical. Generally today, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we are referring to the physical kingdom and the second coming. But I want to emphasize something, that there is something that happened here as far as the spiritual kingdom that we usually don't understand or we take for granted or we don't emphasize or focus on. And this is what Christ was making the distinction about. And so the kingdom of God at its first coming and commencement begins where? Within, according to the teaching of Christ. This is the second Adam restoring what the first Adam had lost. Now we want to look at the exact timing of the commencement of this kingdom because God in his plan, he does things on time in order. When Christ began to preach the gospel, he said the time is fulfilled. Let's go to the book of Acts chapter 1. We'll just show how deep misunderstandings can run. Acts chapter 1 <clears throat> and verse 6. It says here, when they, this is the disciples, and the timing here, Jesus is resurrected and he appeared to his disciples and they're spending some time together. And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to? Israel. This was, uh, you know, imagine Jesus died and, and they're spending time together. One of the top questions that they want to talk to him about and, and discuss is this question. You can tell this is something important on their mind. Are you going to restore the kingdom now to Israel? Okay, you've died. You've resurrected the kingdom. What about the kingdom? Is it going to happen? What kingdom did they have in mind? The physical. Why? Because they had sat at the feet of these Pharisees from when they're little in Sabbath school in the synagogue and growing up and it's ingrained in all of these people this misunderstanding that when the Messiah comes he's going to restore the physical kingdom and that's it. And three years with Christ and even though they preached that the kingdom is at hand they did not fully yet comprehend. They thought this is the physical kingdom is at hand as well. John the Baptist, of course, preached the same. Now, what was the answer of Christ? Is in the next verse. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. 
And then he tells them to wait in Jerusalem until they receive power from on high and the Spirit will come upon them. But the answer of Christ is very significant in verse 7. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that God has put in his hand. In other words, the answer to your question, God has a time and a season for restoring the kingdom to Israel. But it's not for you to worry about that right now. You wait in Jerusalem and you will receive power. There, there was a lot to happen before the restoration of the kingdom, the physical kingdom. But the key here I want to focus in on is there is a time and a season for the restoration of the kingdom. In its spiritual part and in its physical part. And that's what we want to determine, that there is a particular point when the spiritual kingdom was set up. And there's a particular point when the physical kingdom is set up. And it helps us understand a whole heap of things when we see that. It definitely helped me understand a whole heap of things. So hopefully that'll happen as well. There was a, 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 a particular uh, transition from the promised kingdom to the preaching of the kingdom. And the transition from the preaching of the kingdom to the kingdom actually being established. Let's look at Luke 16. We already referred to this. I want to go back and look at it in a bit more detail. Luke 16. Before and after. Luke 16 and verse 16. Luke 16, 16. Jesus speaking. He says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. So, the law and the prophets were until John. Christ is here clearly making a point of transition. The point of transition is who? John. In other words, Jesus, according to Jesus, from the time of John, what began to be preached? That's why we're saying the kingdom of God. He said it, right? From since that time, that's the time of John, the kingdom of God is preached. So according to Jesus, was the kingdom of God ever preached before? Now listen carefully to the verse. The verse gives us the answer. Jesus says, the law and the prophets were until John. And from that time, the kingdom of God is preached. Before that time, the kingdom of God was not preached. It was promised. It was prophesied. Preached. Let me clarify what preached means. Preached is to announce something, to declare something that is imminent or very close. There was no point in preaching the kingdom here because the kingdom was not close for 4,000 years. It's from the time of John that the kingdom is at hand. And so John is the very first preacher of the kingdom of God. You with me? This is according to Christ. Christ himself said that. And he began to preach or to announce this kingdom as imminent. And the kingdom that's being announced, the first phase of this dual kingdom, is the spiritual part of the kingdom. And we'll see that as we, as we go along. We're getting there slowly but surely. John stands as the first in that. And so don't... Uh, well, we're going to look at that tomorrow. But remember, Jesus says, among all the prophets, who is the greatest? This is one of the reasons why John is the greatest. He is the one of all the prophets who had the honor of preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. 
Yes, Christ is a prophet, but Christ is, is referring to other prophets, not himself. Of course, there's no prophet greater than Christ, but he's the son of God. He's the one that makes it all happen. He's the one that the prophets talk about. He's the, the key of all the prophecies. So, of course. And anyway, tomorrow maybe that will clear up a little bit more. So there is a time and there is a season where, when this kingdom will be restored. If the kingdom of God is within, I should maybe just stretch this mark uh, line a little bit further here. What was the timing, if I were to ask you, if you were to pick a time when this kingdom that was at hand, preached to be at hand here, when this kingdom did come about, what time would that be? Just about, okay, let me maybe uh, re rephrase my question. John said the kingdom is at hand. Jesus said the kingdom is at hand. When, what were they referring to? When did it come about? They said it's close. When did it come? The kingdom that was preached here. It had to be close in this time period because they said it is at hand. And we figured out already that they were referring to the spiritual kingdom of God, which begins within. At what point can we pick? Okay, Pentecost is a good answer. We'll put... Uh, P here for Pentecost, and I'll put under here 50 just for, for clarification. When Jesus got baptized? Okay, when Jesus was baptized, he began to preach that the kingdom is at hand, meaning it's coming soon. So it wasn't here just yet. Now, <clears throat> for the kingdom to be at hand, it's actually a very, it's, it's not that, yes. <clears throat> okay, that's exactly right. We'll see that. Uh, thank you. That's a very good point, and that's another term that's used to refer to the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of grace. They're all talking about... It was a promise, yes. Now, remember, the kingdom was to be restored back from who? Who, who, want, who took it from Adam? It was Satan. So during all this time, can we safely say that Satan was ruling in this kingdom? Is that right? Uh, Paul actually refers to him as the God of this world. When Christ was on, here on earth, he referred to him as the Prince of this world. When Christ came to earth, part of his mission was to contest Satan. Satan's missing an N here. Was to contest Satan and to wrest the kingdom back from him. At what point was Satan defeated? At the cross. So at this point, you can look for the beginning of the restoration of this kingdom that was at hand. Because Satan was defeated at this point. So the kingdom, the spiritual kingdom, began to be established here. At this point, from the cross. Yes, so it's not finished yet. But then this kingdom, not only does this kingdom get established, but... It is announced from heaven and declared with power, which makes the period up to here, that's the setting up of the kingdom and declaring it with power. The cross to Pentecost. Let's look at some scripture, and then it will start coming together, hopefully, in our minds. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Can we determine the exact time of the setting up of this kingdom? The answer is yes, there is a specific time. Revelation 12 and verse 10 is what we're looking at. Revelation 12, 10, the Bible here says, 
And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. What, at what timing did this declaration happen in heaven? If you read the context of the chapter, you find it was after Christ ascended back to heaven. After Christ died on the cross, after he rose and he went back to heaven, you have this announcement in heaven that says, now is come four things. The one I want to focus on is the kingdom of God. Now is come the kingdom of God. And what else does it say with it? The power of his Christ. When was the power of Christ manifested and revealed in a marked manner in this time period? Yes, when he died, but we're, we're, right now he's, he's in heaven, he's gone to heaven, and the declaration is, now has come the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. When did the world see the power of his Christ? It was on the day of Pentecost. Didn't Jesus say, you shall receive what? Power. After the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we know who the Holy Spirit is as far as it not being someone different to Christ. It is the, the Holy Spirit being poured out in, on the day of Pentecost was a manifestation of the power of the victorious and resurrected Christ. Evidence that the devil has been defeated. And that's why it says here, for the accuser of our brethren is what? Kazan, that's your proof that now this kingdom is set up. They have power to resist. That's exactly right. And so we can put here the kingdom. Kingdom is established. Okay. And the point here, here, this is the particular point we want to put. I'm going to put it here because it's a part, there's a few events that lead up to that. Now, which part of the kingdom is it? This is the spiritual part, right? The people were expecting the physical part, but this, Jesus said this is what it begins with. It's the spiritual part, it's a spiritual component. And so the death of Christ established the kingdom. It was proclaimed in heaven, and it was announced with power on the day of Pentecost. What was happening in heaven on the day of Pentecost? What happened to Christ on the day of Pentecost in heaven? He was glorified, or he was anointed with the oil of gladness. He began his priesthood as our high priest. Now he can operate in this kingdom as a ruling priest. He rules in the hearts of his people. Yes, he was inaugurated, that's right. As, or anointed, inaugurated, that's, that's all referring to the same thing. And the evidence of that was, of course, on the day of Pentecost. So this is the spiritual kingdom that was established that this preaching was all about. That the kingdom of God is at hand. That's why we believe today that Christ can live in us the life that he perfected here on earth. The Bible calls it Christ in you, the hope of, of glory. He sets up his kingdom first here, where it was first lost, in the heart. That's what his work as a priest really is. But then there is, of course, the other verses that we talk about, where part of his work as a priest, and we saw that already, is to receive a kingdom. Like it said in the parable, he went to a far country to receive to himself a kingdom 
and then to return. Of course, this kingdom that we're talking about here is the physical part of that kingdom. Anyway, we'll look at a few verses. Matthew chapter 7. We'll go back to the Bible here. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 21. Matthew seven twenty-one. The Bible here says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And verse 22, many will say to me, in that day, Lord, Lord, that we have not done all these things. What is that day where there will be these people who will want to enter the kingdom of heaven? What day is he talking about? Second coming, right? So this kingdom here is referring to the physical kingdom, not the spiritual kingdom. And Sometimes we don't distinguish between all these aspects. There's a number of verses. Another one we know in the, in the Lord's Prayer, right? When the disciples told, asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. What did he say? Yeah, we are to say, our Father, our Son, thy kingdom come. What are we referring to when we say thy kingdom come? The one that's coming. But in so doing, we focus a lot on what's coming we actually neglect or we forget that there is something already here. And the something that's already here, God wants us to know, wants us to believe, wants us to understand, wants us to appreciate, to benefit from this, because this is evidence that Satan has been defeated. I think it's called dual meaning that uh, thy kingdom comes spiritual and physical. Yes, spiritual and physical, but obviously Christ intended for his disciples to continue to pray that prayer uh, well after the spiritual was established. So yes, of course, it can have two. Yes, of course. But, but Jesus also expected us to pray the same prayer over here. So, yes, that's exactly right. That's a good point. Okay, let's, uh, let's keep going. There's a few, uh, a few verses here. Matthew 8, 11. Let's look at that one. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11. Just to see that in the Gospels we have references to both, and it's good to distinguish between them. Matthew 8, 11. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. When does that happen? Physical. We're talking about the physical kingdom or the kingdom that, the, uh, that is composed of this world. And uh, <clears throat> there are a number of other scriptures for that. And so let me stretch this line here a little bit because we're going to come to a particular point again where the next phase of the kingdom begins and that's very significant so right now we're here somewhere here say 2015 this is the you are here arrow okay on the map let's look at uh, Luke 22 what else will happen in this kingdom Jesus gave many many physical markers to indicate this physical kingdom. Luke 22 is another example. And verse 15 and 16. Luke 22, 15 and 16. And he said unto them, this is in the Last Supper, about this time of year, of course. He said unto them, with desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not 
anymore, eat thereof, until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of, of God. Christ was talking about a physical act of eating together. And he says, this is not going to happen again until the kingdom of God, referring to the physical aspect. We're still waiting. We're still looking forward to that. And Christ here was referring, this verse is a little bit misunderstood sometimes. Christ here was not referring to the feast day of Passover. He was referring to the meal that they were sharing together. Because I've heard some people who uh, use this verse to say, oh, see, the Passover feast or festival is not fully fulfilled yet. Jesus will said that it will be fulfilled in the kingdom. The feast day is not what Christ was referring to here. He was referring to the meal, to eating and to drinking. Let's look at verse 18. That's what he was referring to. Just drop down a couple of verses. Verse 18, he clarifies it. It says, For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. So he was talking about eating and drinking in the kingdom. That is to be fulfilled. But Christ definitely fulfilled the requirements of the feast day of the Passover because he died on time. We can't suggest that that was partially fulfilled and that there is more to that to be fulfilled. Christ made a full, complete fulfillment. The proof of that is the spiritual kingdom has been set up. You see, at this time of the year, uh, well, this, this, this whole period here is another circle. This was the spring festivals. The Passover, unleavened bread, including the, uh, what's it called now, the wave sheaf, and Pentecost, These, this package of feasts, which were the spring festivals, they were all fulfilled by Christ in his first advent. They served the function of Christ in fulfilling them. He set up the spiritual kingdom. Fulfilled. The fall festivals, which occur at the second coming, they serve the purpose of establishing what? The physical kingdom. That's what Christ was talking about here. And so uh, we have to be careful how we read the scriptures, not to imply that the spring festivals, some of them are still not fulfilled. It casts a shadow on what Christ actually accomplished in that part of the, the type. And so, again, a little later in the chapter, he spells it out even clearer to the disciples. Look at verse 28. Same chapter, Luke 22, verse 28. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That's what Christ was referring to when he says, it shall be fulfilled in the kingdom. You will eat and you will drink and you will sit on thrones in this kingdom. The evidence, brothers and sisters, that all this is fulfilled is that we today can benefit from the results of this fulfillment. We don't have a partial benefit. The only hindrance to our benefit is our lack of faith. What happened here is a reality that we can benefit from today. Let's not suggest that it only happened in part. And anyway, the reason I say that is I've heard that a number of times and it's just based on a misunderstanding of the verse. So let's look at the kingdom that he's talking about here. He says, you will sit and eat and drink in this kingdom. 
Just like the spiritual kingdom had a specific time when it was started, when it was set up, like, the, like Jesus said, the Father has set seasons and times that he has ordered for the setting up of the kingdom. There's also a specific time when this kingdom is set up. What is the specific time when this kingdom is set up? The physical kingdom. Okay, no answer. <laughs> We're seventh day what? Adventist, right? The second advent is what we're looking forward to. The second advent has everything to do with the setting up of the physical kingdom. Let's look at a few verses uh, to that effect. <clears throat> we read that this morning. Let's just look at it again. Daniel 7. It's, it's important enough to look at that. There's a certain sequence here, and we'll just close with that. We're almost done. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Daniel 7, 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom, and that all people and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Christ receives the kingdom. That's what he talked about in the parable, when he says he goes into a far country to receive a kingdom. And in that parable, he actually continues to say that when he returned, having received the kingdom. So when Christ returns a second time, he's already received this kingdom. And he comes on earth and he establishes it with power, like this was established with power. Let's look at a verse that never hit me this way before until I was looking at this topic, 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, Paul says something that uh, I found really interesting. It kind of stood out to me and really, oh, wow, I never really noticed that word in this, in this verse. 2 Timothy 4.1. 2 Timothy 4.1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. I never really triggered, you know, never picked up on kingdom before. Yeah, of course we know that. But in, in this context, it really stood out to me because this is the kingdom that Christ receives in heaven before he comes. At his appearing and his kingdom. It sets up this physical part of the kingdom. So now the spiritual is over. So we can put here the second coming. And then this is the physical part of the kingdom. I just want to save ink. When Christ comes the second time. In like manner, actually before we say that, that's why when Christ comes the second time, he actually deals with the kingdoms of this world. The, the sequence here is very significant. I just want to add a few more points. I, uh, I didn't. During this time, Satan... Satan was ruling up until this point, then Satan is contested. Showdown. And from this point onward, Satan is? Satan is defeated. But when Paul wrote the book of Corinthians, which was written sometime after the cross, he actually referred to Satan as what? The god of this world. You ever wondered about that? He's already been defeated. But he's called the god of this world. Why? 
He's still the God of this world, the physical world. The spiritual kingdom does not begin to have a physical impact on the kingdoms of this world. There's no physical battle yet that's coming here. And so at the second coming, even though Satan's already defeated, it still has a lot to do with the world and with the affairs that are going around in the world. But God has already set up a spiritual kingdom in the hearts of his people where Satan has been cast out totally. He has nothing and no power over God's people in this spiritual kingdom, except if we allow him. And so when Christ comes a second time, that'll be the time when Satan is, not quite yet, when Satan is bound. Isn't that right? Uh, yes, well, the, the standing up of Michael in Daniel 12.1 is really the close of probation. Which occurs just before the second coming. Where Christ finishes his work as a priest, he has received the kingdom, he changes his priestly garment to kingly garments, and he comes down in the second coming. And when he comes down in the second coming, he destroys the kings of this earth. The image in Daniel 2, remember that? At the very bottom in the feet, and that stone comes and destroys. If, if we read that, let, let's go there, because the, the description, we know that so well, but I want us to read that, the wording in Daniel 2. The description is very, very interesting in light of what we're talking about here with the setting up of this kingdom, spiritual and then physical. Daniel 2, verse 44. <clears throat> Daniel 2, 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. What kingdom is being referred to here? The physical kingdom at the second coming. If you go a few verses earlier in the actual dream, in verse 35, this is how it's described. Verse 35, Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, and no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the kingdom that the Jews were expecting at this time. The kingdom that would destroy all the enemies of God's people and give power to the chosen and be established as rulers over the earth. They wanted that here. Christ told them, you, you really missed it. We first have to restore what Adam lost in here before you can qualify to be part of this. But this is coming, brothers and sisters. That's what Christ is doing right now in heaven. He's receiving this kingdom. And heaven makes an announcement of that. This announcement, I'm not going to spend too much time there, but let's look at it in Revelation 11. The announcement of this kingdom, just like in Revelation 12, it gave an announcement of this kingdom. It said, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God. Notice what it says in Revelation 11. And I find that very interesting. Verse 15. Revelation 11, verse 15. And the seventh angel, that's the, that's the seven trumpets, and the seventh angel sounded. And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders were set before God, on their seats, fell upon their faces, and worshiped God. What does the wording here remind you of? What we just read in Daniel. 
where the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God, of our Lord, and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. This is the physical showdown. That's why when Christ comes, He destroys all His enemies that have been made His footstool. That's what we're looking at uh, earlier this morning. Does that make sense so far? I'm not really saying anything brand new or, or you know, we're just putting some things in order, in perspective, to help us appreciate what Christ does. Uh, there's a number of other examples how this is brought out. I'm not going to go into all that right now. <clears throat> but like we said before, and this is really the appeal of this, we're, we're living right here, brothers and sisters, and this is soon to take place. And when this kingdom is set up and established, that's it. It will last forever and ever because that's the kingdom where Christ will be king. That's what we're looking at this morning. And the purpose of Christ going to all this trouble and receiving this kingdom is to really give it to, to us, to you and to me. Daniel 7 says that uh, a number of times that the kingdom was given to the saints of the Most High. Let's go to Luke 12. I referred to this verse earlier. But I want us to read it. It'll be our last verse. Luke chapter 12. And I really, really love this verse in this context. Luke chapter 12 and verse 32. Luke 12, 32. And it says, Fear not, little flock. Christ must have been referring to our gathering here today. Little flock, huh? Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Living here in this part of the world, in this time in Earth's history, there is a lot to cause us to fear. We go through whatever trials, whatever troubles, as a believer, as a Christian, we're wondering, where is this kingdom of God? Why is it taking so long? I wish I lived maybe in the days of the apostles or, or in the days of, of uh, Moses or any other day other than my time because our time is just so bad. We go through trials and sufferings, things to cause us to fear. And this is what Christ is saying. He says, don't be afraid. Remember something. What gives God pleasure? What gives God enjoyment? What makes God happy is to do something, is to give you the kingdom. This is a promise that he gave to encourage his believers. He says, this kingdom has been set up, the spiritual kingdom. But while you're in the spiritual kingdom and I'm in you, there is still a battle. Satan has been defeated, but he does not accept that defeat easily. And he will challenge that. And we go through all kinds of trials and troubles and sufferings. Jesus is saying, fear not. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If you, you wonder, you know, what makes God happy? What makes God happy is to give. To give us the best thing ever, to restore us back to him, to give the kingdom. That is why Jesus said in Matthew 6, But seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. And this is, you know, looking at this, this is my, my question and my challenge to all of us today. Are you seeking first his kingdom? The spiritual part is already here. We can't be members of this kingdom unless we partake of this one first. We cannot enter this unless we have this. Christ came to earth and died in order to set up this kingdom. Are we truly seeking the kingdom of God first? Is this the first priority in our life today? Or is it our work, our job, 
our mortgage, our bills, our everything else that the devil throws our way. And so the kingdom of God subconsciously drops down the list. And it's somewhere there that we look at on Sabbath only. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, this coming kingdom is of such a nature that is totally out of this world, literally. You know, maybe in looking at this, it kind of refreshes our minds a little bit. Like, this is all real. This is all happening, and it is soon to take place. Right this minute, Christ is in heaven receiving this kingdom on our behalf. And he's telling us, he sends the same message down to earth. He says, seek first, make your first priority. If you do anything in this life, make your first priority to seek this kingdom and God's righteousness. Everything else is secondary. God cannot give you everything else that's not already contained in the kingdom. Well, let me reword that. It didn't come out very right. When we make God's kingdom secondary, God, God promised, he says, I'm going to give you the, very, the most prized position is my kingdom. Everything else is secondary as far as I'm concerned. He says, all these other things will be provided unto you. And so I want to challenge you, my brothers and sisters, as we go in this world, there's all kinds of issues we, we, that keep us busy, that give us trouble, that give us heartache. Don't forget, our high priest is now receiving a kingdom on our behalf. I pray that you, that me, I, will make it indeed the first thing that we're to seek for. Let's close with a word of prayer. If you were blessed by this message, remember to subscribe and share it with others. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.